Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with Mike Renner. We're going to do our mailbag episode today. I have a ton of questions. We're going to answer them all for you on this week's um, mailbag episode. But before we do, we're going to hit on two important storylines right now. The latest on the Deshaun Watson saga showing up to the Houston Rockets game that really James Harden's last game in Houston with Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson telling him to hold his ground, whatever it may be. And we're also going to touch on uh, the article that came out in the Miami Herald about Tua Vailoa, an anonymous Dolphins players, questioning his leadership, questioning his ability, showing support for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's a disaster in South Beach right now. What are they going to do at the quarterback position? And then, of course, the mailbag will go. All right, let's get it. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and... One year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Mike Renner back in studio here for the two for one drafts podcast. And I know I opened the podcast last time with an epic dating story and the reviews are in people are, are flocking to me saying, man, that is just, you're on an absurd run. Someone said you're on an absurd run or an impressive run. And I said, that's a word for it. I would call it more depressing, but it, it is an impressive run, but I want to open with this. I don't know what story to tell this week, but I have to, to, to pitch and you can reach out to me and DM me, tweet, tweet at me, whatever it may be, which one you want me to tell on Monday's episode. One, my dad flipping a Ford Focus and running from the cops. Two, my mom landing in Manteca's Most Wanted for Grand Theft Auto. I have those two stories. Those two are good ones. Very, very good stories. To let you know, to, to precede those, my parents are insane. My family background is insane. My dad's a nut job. My mom's a nut job. But those two stories are pretty. Your dad hates pretty, me too. And your da- my dad also hates Mike Renner. So one of those two stories, the mom, Grand Theft Auto, the dad flipping the Ford Focus and running from the cops. I will tell one of those on the Monday pod. I just need votes in. Get the votes in. DM me, IG me, whatever it may be. Where's your vote, Mike? Your vote's cart start. <sighs> I want to hear the Ford Focus one. It's good. That one sounds great. But I was thinking of like stories myself. I really, I don't think I could tell any of the ones. The good you have ones some good ones, but they're just too, they you, can't you probably can't tell them on the podcast. The one I could tell is about how I got the black eye that I had ended up missing. Dude, please tell that Should story. I tell that story? Tell that story. So... I started dating a girl who lived in Reno, Nevada a few years ago, and she moved then across the country to Cincinnati here, live with me. Things didn't go well. We broke up. Surprising. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> um, and then so she actually ended up moving then back and came to visit, and she punched me in the face when she came back to visit. <laughs> There's more details that how, to that story. There's a little more details, but that's, that's pretty much all you guys need to know was how that ended up happening. You talk about having people that are crazy. That chick was crazy. Yeah. That chick was a wild one. 
but the the details of that story was good. We might have to like set up. I know other podcasts do like meetups or whatever. We're like, hey, we're going to be at this game or whatever. When COVID's yeah. over, it'd be great to be like, hey, we're going to be in South Bend. Hey, we're going to be wherever. We're the hula ball. That would be sick. Quinn, come out too. Quinn, make a play. Bring some Coors Edges out there. Get the people going. Non-alcoholic. Everyone on the freaking, everyone at the tailgate's like, let's go. We're going to make people sober if we go. I kind of like it. Mm. You're go- you're not doing dry February though, right? No, that's that's too much. If you're not I might die. I mean, Super if Bowl, the Packers make it to the NFC Championship game, I might cut it January thank short. Thank God. Yeah. Your parents wouldn't even be impressed with you at that point. <laughs> cut it off the dry January. All right, let's start with Deshaun Watson. Interesting stuff going on. I mean, he was just on vacation, comes back goes to watch James Harden play basketball for the last time with the Houston Rockets and with Andre Johnson. And Andre Johnson has been, what, was not on Twitter for like over a month, came back to Twitter, and all of his recent tweets have been flaming the Houston Texans organization, you know, t- telling Deshaun Watson to hold his ground, to not like, you know, to not just fall to what the Houston Texans want. Like a lot of this is looking like Deshaun Watson, at the very least, is strongly considering strong-arming the Texans into getting out of that situation, potentially via trade or whatever has to happen to not play for the Houston Texans. That's how bad it looks right now. I don't know what the results will be of this, but it doesn't look good right now. Yeah, Andre Johnson had not had a tweet that wasn't a sponsored tweet, an ad tweet, since 2019. No way. Over a year, yes. (laughs) Had not had a tweet that wasn't an ad for over a year. Comes out just guns blazing, telling Deshaun Watson to do what's best for him you know screw the texans as someone who had his entire career i don't want to say ruined like he put up big numbers there but like they did nothing with andre johnson he knows that like a bad organization is depressing probably to play for year after year and told him to do what's best for him and i think the texans are screwed here if deshaun watson really wants to like they're damned if they do damned if they don't if they trade him they're the team that screwed up so bad they traded Deshaun Watson. If they call his bluff and say, you know, like you got to come play for us, everyone's like, "What are you doing here? Why can't you like give it like your your strong arm and you're like holding hostage your best player?" Like, they I think they're really kind of screwed here uh, in the court of public perception with their fans. Yeah, and in a tough spot. I don't know how it ends up. I think the favorite scenario i've heard or like the most realistic scenario i've heard is with the dolphins and talking about trading to a tongue of iloa and multiple first round picks including the number three and 18 overall pick that is what i've seen like could potentially happen makes the most sense in terms of who has the capital to do it but i cannot believe yeah getting their pick back for laramie tunsil but i i can't imagine that the houston did anything but making Deshaun Watson happy is at the top of the list for Jack Easterby and the Houston Tech Nick Casario and the Houston Texans organization. They like, can't let him go. Eric Eager has said this before. He said, if you have a player that's very, very good, that doesn't want to play for your franchise, a lot of the times you'll say, well, you got to trade him. Find what you can get from him. No. What you need to do is create a culture and an organization that your best players don't want to leave. That should be the number one priority. It shouldn't be like, oh, you don't want to play here? We're out. See ya. Peace. Like what yeah. the Raiders did with Mac and Cooper. Well, Cooper, more so than Mac, didn't want to play Jamal in Oakland. Adams. And yeah. then you're like, we have to find a way to trade. It's like, no, the problem's you. I, I relate it back to my dad in a situation. My dad has had three or four divorces, and every time it's their fault. No, at a certain point... You're the guy who should probably be fixing some things so the people that you're dating don't want to leave you. And in this situation, Deshaun Watson is a potential divorce for the Houston Texans where they need to be more reflective and not say, like, oh, if he doesn't want to play here, he's out. Yes. You can't. You literally cannot trade Deshaun Watson. You can't. You just can't. You cannot if you're the Houston Texans. You are 
the the whole like you said no players bigger than the team Sean Watts is bigger than the team right now that is your team that is a you know that is you know a decade plus of what should be prosperity if you can do any halfway competent job as a GM <laughs> So Don't get to take shots at Bill O'Brien like Basically, that. figure it out is what I'm saying here. Fair. Figure, it, figure out. it out, I think, is the best methodology moving forward. Let's jump to this Tua Tungavailoa um, situation. I kind of want to read some of the quotes here. But if, yes, before please I, do. Before I dive into the quotes, if you want to preface it while I look for them, go mm-hmm. ahead. So basically, I don't want to say a hit piece, but, but there are anonymous players within the Dolphins organization saying that Tua was basically shit like didn't mm-hmm. look good at any point in practice was that everyone was floored when he was named the starter was no one was happy the fact that he was named the starter and that they don't think he's going to be a good nfl quarterback yeah. is the whole I have the quote gist now. of it but and, but some of it like came off almost too over the top to where it's it has to be like preston williams or Devonte parker or someone who was a wide receiver who had better stats with Ryan Fitzpatrick it came off almost like a jilted lover because some of them were just like so dead wrong that I don't know it's hard to like just read them yep so this is from Amando Saguero of the Miami Herald support local journalism support the Miami Herald go check out the article subscribe if they do have this subscription model but I'll read some of the quotes off here they said they were unimpressed by Tua Tungavailoa during training camp to point to the point that they w- thought he wouldn't be ready to play in 2020 they said they were caught totally off guard, as one put it, when Tua Tungabailoa was named the starter in the seventh game of the season. Uh, and, and another said that the season finale, when players were informed that by Flores that Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't play against the Bills, they were disappointed because they believed Fitzpatrick gave them a better chance than Tua. Another thing they said is that the players also say they don't see a special trait in Tua Tungabailoa's skill set beyond his accuracy, which is obviously the most important. But one defensive player said he isn't impressed with his ball velocity or arm strength or ability to make off-schedule plays with his legs. So he ultimately questions if Tua can be the starter of the future. Can he compete with Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes, Deshaun Watson, etc.? So like, what did we say when this first happened? When this first happened on the seventh game when he was started, what is that, what is that doing for Brian Flores putting Tua Tungabailoa in? I think it's going to create a split in the locker room because you're yeah. going to have players that want Ryan Fitzpatrick to play and you're going to have players that want Tua Tungabailoa to play. And it sounds like a lot of the defensive players at least are signing on the fact that, hey, because the defense was rocking. The defense mm-hmm. was a top five defense this season. The defense was blowing it up. They, had, they were a playoff caliber defense, but offensively they weren't scoring points. So obviously there are some concerns there. So now you have the split in the locker room with some saying Ryan Fitzpatrick gives us a better chance to win all the way to the point where like, I don't think Tua should be the starter next year. This is the concern. And I don't think, here's a hot take. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't think it's Brian Flores' fault. The decision to start Tua Tungavailoa was not his. I don't think. Personally, say what you want. I don't it's know hard, if it, it was. It would be hard to imagine it was. It's hard to imagine it was. Because Brian Flores is also the same quarterback that was benching his ass in multiple games to try and get Fitzpatrick in to win some games late. To start him after the bye, that was a front office, higher management decision. And he had his hands tied, having to tell players, defensive players that are showing frustration privately, that like, hey, this is what we have to do. We have to build around to a tongue by Loa. That's a frustrating situation for Brian Flores. A guy that I think if he didn't get absolutely blown out by the backup Bills in Week 17 would be the candidate for Coach of the Year this year. Now yeah. Kevin Stefanski is kind of running away with it. But concerning stuff in Miami, I still think there's reason to believe you could build a winning offense around to a tongue by Loa. It's going to be more difficult than maybe some of these guys that can make all the throws, but he's accurate. 
you add you need to add more weapons and you need to build up that offensive line but i do understand why there are some concerns and why there is a split in this locker room yeah he doesn't i do love that quote where it's like beyond his accuracy yeah it's like you realize that's been you know you know look at half the quarterbacks who are in the nfl playoffs like what is Drew Brees, Phil Rivers, Tom Brady, what do they have that's special beyond their accuracy? Like, they don't have a special arm. They don't make off-platform throws. Like, you can win yeah. from the pocket if you are good enough. It is a – that is, like, for the vast majority of NFL history, that's what everyone considered, like, the most valuable thing yeah. was that. So, um, yeah, it, to me, it's a little overblown. But I do think the biggest takeaway here was that there was not – like, coaching staff – and management not on the same page and that's why this is why you cannot have that in an organization and like that it has to be unified decision making because if brian flores wasn't on board with it that trickles down to the roster the roster can tell that oh absolutely everyone knows that you you cannot you have to be lockstep you have to so when you're not and just calling down from the top whether it's owner gm whoever made the call this is why it's bad. This is why you don't do it. And more credit to Brian Flores, honestly, for how he handled that situation. And yeah. I know the Week 17 disaster was rough, but like he handled that situation also better like, than a hey, lot of other coaches would. Defense, they didn't do it. They were part of Week 17. Either, no, that's so true. Take- Very true. All right, let's jump to the mailbag uh, questions here. We're going to preface this with we weren't able to get all of them. We weren't able to get all of them on YouTube and on Twitter, DMs, IGO, and all that stuff. So I'm going to go ahead. Before we do that, I'm going to read the names of the questions that we pushed to next week's. So we're going to answer these first. One is from Slightly on the podcast recording or the podcast um, reviews. These are from YouTube for Max Odlong, Bruno Perkovich, Shaplito Plays, and Easy Breezy. Those will be the first questions we ask answer yes, on next week. Sorry. Let's go ahead and start with this one here, starting with Alex and Lily. If one of the top four quarterbacks are there, do they go that route or should they pick up a D end or linebacker? He's talking this about the, the Raiders. Raiders. Do they pick up a defensive end or linebacker? I know those are bigger needs than QB, but I'm just not sold on Derek Carr. We're not sold on Derek Carr. I'm not sold on Derek Carr. You shouldn't you, be. You, you may feel differently. But my thought on this is this has to be, you have to do this before the draft if you're not sold on Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not sold on Derek Carr, someone, someone wants Derek Carr. Someone would give you a first rounder, maybe like more than just one first rounder for Derek Carr at this point. I'm sure the Chicago bears would love to have Derek. I think that's still a very good fit. So that if you're not sold on Derek Carr as an organization, you're the Las Vegas Raiders that has to happen pre-draft. You have to make that call before that. All of a sudden this guy slips, you know, who, who may, whoever it may be, Trey Lance slips down uh, to you at pick 17 that that's one of the situations where I, I think it's too late at that point to make that call. Um, so I would go to end or linebacker. I don't think one of those top four guys is going to be there, but I would rather trade to someone who would want that guy, whether it's, you know, Steelers, someone la- later on in the first round, than draft him at that point. Yeah. I think if the Las Vegas Raiders, John Gruden specifically is not sold on winning with Derek Carr in the near future, the next two years, then you need to make a move earlier in the process. Trade him for other draft picks to go up in the draft and maybe grab a guy like Fields, Wilson, or Lance. I will say this about Derek Carr. You know, you said, I'm not sold on Derek Carr. I wouldn't say I'm sold on Derek Carr either, but I think I know what he is. Derek Carr is a consistent 
accurate quarterback coming off the, the best single season of his career, even better than his 2016 campaign. Can you win with him? Yes, with an ideal supporting cast, both offensively and defensively. He's a guy that when all things are perfect, he can live up to those expectations and it, with, with really good receiving core, a top-notch offensive line, and a defense that's in the top half of the league, top 10 in the league. That's a playoff team. That's a deep playoff team. But by the time the Raiders have all those things, Derek Carr is going to be like 40. Like the, the, the Las Vegas Raiders on defense are like 10, 11 pieces away from it being good. Offensively, they did swing the bat on Henry Ruggs. He has not panned out to start. Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. Hunter Renfro is a great slot piece, but not a guy that you're banging the table for for making this offense great. Like You still don't have the pieces necessary to win with a quarterback like Derek Carr that can't make the off-platform throws and do these crazy things like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, these things that like elevate your supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr plays to the level of his supporting cast, which in a lot of systems, you can go in a deep postseason run with if you have a good supporting cast. That's why I think the Bears makes the most sense. Like The Bears don't have an elite supporting cast, but, but you resign, you resign Allen Robinson. You have Darnell Mooney there. Anthony Miller, maybe you resign him defensively. Khalil Mack, Jalen Johnson, Amo, like you have a lot of talent there. And Matt Nagy, I think, with a, comp- a a competent quarterback with accuracy at the same pace as Carr, could probably go on a deep postseason run with. They it, won a ton of games with Trubisky and freaking Nick Foles this year. It really has blown my mind. John Gruden was like known for hating all his quarterbacks, you know, in his first stop in Oakland and then in Tampa Bay. And has gone, was it three years now with Carr without like any hint of, I guess they did sign Mariota last year as maybe an insurance plan, but no real hint of Gru never being upset with him. So that's just interesting to me. All right. Next question. Brian0825. Mike Renner is the best in the business. I, I threw that one in there just for the, just no, for I mean, like he said that, but it's obviously not part of the question. It is part of the question. Mike Renner is the best in the business. Get oh, Anthony Tresh on the pod more. We should do some more three-man pods. Yeah. Question, which edge rusher, I'm always down, which edge rusher is a good scheme fit for the Titans? Okay, so obviously Javon Clowney, free agent. You have Harold Landry on one side. He is a edge bender type. He is going to win at the top of the pocket. When you have a guy like that, kind of like similar to, I guess that's like kind of selling TJ Watt shorts, call him an edge bender, but like TJ Watt works well when he has Bud Dupree on the other side pushing a quarterback backwards. You're going to get a lot more sacks when you have that. So you want a pocket pusher across from a guy who's going to speed rush. You don't want two speed rushers. Then you give a lot of lanes for quarterbacks to run through. And obviously that doesn't work as well in the run game either. So I think one of the bigger true edge setter types in this class, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, Joe Tryon from Washington, and then a little later on Peyton Turner from Houston. I think those guys would be good fits if you are the Titans. Little teaser for our Senior Bowl preview, which we'll be doing next week ahead of the Senior Bowl. Carlos Basham Jr. is the highest ranked player going to the senior ball on pff's board i watched a ton of his tape yesterday he is huge like he is a big dude he, he is big. built like I think he got too too big this he year. might have gotten too big but he is built like defensive ends of old like he's like yeah. six foot five two eighty five yeah. like you look at i was looking at like like uh body comps and stuff like he looks like six foot he's listed at six Just foot five two eighty five but he might be two ninety two like the guy is big as hell looks a lot bigger than some of these other guys coming out so carlos basham jr i agree he's not bendy He's not, he's not bending the edge and pushing the top of the pocket, but he can't bully, bully some dudes. And I think he works his hands well. Yeah. Like he went against some bad offensive tackles this year and like beat them to a pulp. But he also get, he gets kicked inside a decent amount at Wake or even just like two hands in the ground, head up on the tackle. 
and still is winning really, really well in those areas. So Carlos Basham Jr. I think will be fun to watch um, at the Senior Bowl. Hashtag fun to watch. But I think he has some opportunity to, to make some money there because if he can show he can win on those one-on-ones, yeah, no. both on the interior and on the edge, that's going to be big for him. Because right now I see him as more of a day-two guy. Like I don't think he's going to sneak in around one with his traits. He's got great size, I but disagree. you don't, you think he's going to be a round one player? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll see how he goes at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. All right, Gingy24. Great pod, great content. How do you guys think Terrace Marshall stacks up as a prospect, and where can we expect to see him drafted? I wish we could have seen a little more of him this year. Obviously, he took over Justin Jefferson's role in the slot. Um, I'm still a fan, though. 54th on the board. I think he's a firm second-round type of wide receiver. He's got good speed, but he's just like skinny still and doesn't really have... Uh, he'll have the quicks to make up for it when you're that skinny, six foot three, 200 pounds. But he was like pretty good after the catch. I'm, I'm kind of just hesitant. I, I feel like he's a guy who, if you really, uh, I don't want to say came back to school, he's not coming back to school, but like if, if you really came back and put it on in a role where like he's he adds some weight, plays to like a more, a role where he's facing more man coverage, like he could have gone in the first round easily. But I think he's a day two guy who, has a very good chance to outperform. One of those guys has a very good chance to outperform kind of where he ends up going. His recruiting background is also insane. Yeah, he's he's like guy. one of the yeah. like most coveted guys coming out, like mm-hmm. one of the big name receivers, five-star recruit and all that stuff. So compare him to Justin Jefferson. I mean, replacing Justin Jefferson's role, a lot of people want to say it's another really productive slot guy for LSU. What are the key more, differences between Jefferson was way more flexible and played stronger, I'd say. Like you could see... Justin Jefferson like was ex- more explosive out of his cuts and out of his routes, and it was also like had a ton of contested catches. Like you knew Justin Jefferson was going to make contested catches in the NFL. Like that, w- you were not worried about Marshall, n- not as much. Love the pod, my dudes. This is from I don't have the name in here. Oh man, brutal. But I've always wondered if you guys compensate for strength of competition in your player grades. If a wide receiver is going against a good defense corner versus a bad one in both the NFL and the collegiate level, if not. And do you have an algorithm in your prospect research that basically calculates that an 85 graded receiver from Bama might be a better prospect than on paper than an 85 graded receiver from Fresno State? For example, just based on level of competition. Yes. So our grades do not account for level of competition. The 0 to 100 grades don't. The do, yeah, that, those grades will not. The draft projections that you will see from Eric Eager and the analytics team in terms of like... Uh, who they comp to in the NFL level, they're sort of high-low things that I don't know if you've seen any of those graphs that they tweet out. Those will account for that. So They they work in opponent-adjusted Massey ratings and play-by-play grading to yes. look at role college-to-pro projections. One of the biggest things that Dr. Eric Eager is working on here at PFF is college-to-pro projections, factoring in athleticism score like pff athleticism score which factors in a bunch of the testing and height weight and all that stuff in addition to the production at the collegiate level with weighting obviously towards those traits because of how valuable that is in the nfl and how how obvious that translates at the next level that right. was sugar shane 93 sugar shane 93 my bad all right p blaine's 21 or p baines p baines 21 great content i was told this was the best place to get my questions answered and it is it is what is the best option for the Washington football team to address the quarterback position this offseason? Trading up in the draft or a trade slash in the offseason slash or free agency? My opinion for the Washington football team, I am trading a lot of whatever it needs to take to go get one of these top quarterbacks because 
if I hit on a guy like that, if I go up and I hit on a Justin Fields, like if I get that high in the draft and I hit on Justin Fields, I hit on Trey Lance, I don't know, say one of those top four guys that they get. You also have a lot of talent on their rookie contracts in terms of Chase Young, Montez Sweat, a lot of guys, Terry McLaurin, that are going to be paid a lot of money soon to where if you have a quarterback in a lot of valuable positions, all not getting paid a lot, you can sign a lot of free agents yeah. to that roster and make it look real good real quickly. And that's a Super Bowl window that a lot of teams, like that would be an easy money Super Bowl window at that point. If you trade for Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, yeah, like you, you have a Super Bowl window still because, I get, like I said, you have a bunch of young talent on that roster, but it's not as nearly as much of a slam dunk in my eyes. So, Dude, I take an NBA approach as the Washington football team. Trade your 2022 first rounder and your 2024 first rounder. So that way you still have your 2023. <laughs> but you know how the NBA does that. They like trade yeah. every other year so they can like find ways to build up different things. But like shoot the moon. Like the, bold moves one. are the only way you're going yes. to like actually like the, the Washington football team is not like a couple pieces away every single draft from like really hitting. Like eventually you have to get the quarterback. Unless this year you want to like start Taylor Heineke and see if you can tank all the way down. But at that point, no, you you're in a really bad place the following season. And like you're it's another year added to Terry McLaurin. It's another year added to Chase Young. Like this window is now. Mm-hmm. Go, go make the best of it. Go trade up and try and get Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. Trade multiple first-round picks to do it because like, what else are you going to do? This isn't an inch-by-inch, row-by-row situation. When it becomes inch-by-inch and piece-by-piece is when you have the quarterback. You're not, you're not mortgaging the future necessarily when you have the quarterback. You can, you can add pieces, be more, be less shoot-the-moon-like in your decision-making, like similar to what the Patriots have done with Tom Brady for a long time, the Packers. Like they're, You're not like ever like going all in on another player because you don't have to outside of the quarterback position. You should be willing to give up three plus first round picks for your future quarterback. You should be willing to, you you shouldn't be like, Oh, we're lucky enough to get him uh, at 15. Like they did with Dwayne Haskins and those things. Like you should be willing to mortgage the future to make sure you get your guy. And I think the Washington football team would be smart to do it. Yes. And like I said, there are obviously try to keep Taylor Heineke. Like he looked good in his game and a half. Um, maybe sign a veteran, maybe keep around Kyle Allen. I don't know, but I would not like. I would not be like Cam Newton's not winning a Super Bowl right now. You know, Jameis Winston's not winning a Super Bowl right now. If you're just going that route, you got to make a play with that roster. In my I opinion. agree. I agree. This is from eight four six seven two. Great content. Love the pod and everything. PFF hashtag science. I don't know what that means. Question for this podcast. Which prospects in this year's draft have a dream fit on a team or a specific scheme? I've talked a lot about Cal Pitts to Baltimore, that offense, and just the fact that, yes, they run a lot, but they don't use their tight ends as like inline blockers, and so that's perfect for them. Like mm-hmm. They get them out in the move, and that's special. That's like what Pitts does. So Kyle Pitts to Baltimore, one of them. I think Justin Fields to 49ers would be just perfect. Like an accurate quarterback, incredibly accurate quarterback in that 49ers game because you're going to scheme open wide receivers. Like Kyle Shanahan will get guys open. You just got to be able to hit them. Jimmy G was not hitting them at a high level. Justin Fields will hit guys who are open and can add that running element that he hasn't had since RG3. Like he schemed up RG3, a, a top, what was it, five offense in the NFL there with him? Pretty absurd what he did. I think you add that to his offense, take it to the next level, and then I'll also throw in defense side of the ball. Tyler Shelvin going into New England. They still use that true nose. You just that would be too much. 
Too perfect. I, I also like one that we're going to consistently see mocked is Gregor Rousseau to Minnesota. I feel like that long athletic project going yes. to it, not necessarily from a scheme perspective, but like that's the no, fit. That I mean, that's what, yeah, that's want. what they do defensively. They don't blitz a lot, Mike Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And so they're keeping their edges, letting them go off. From ODYMC19, Texans draft strategy. What would your Texans draft strategy for the 2021 draft be due to reduced draft capital slash limited cap space? Best players available, high ceiling, low floor prospects. What's your approach? Yes, they don't have a pick till a third round. So you're not going to do much. I would throw, I said it kind of on the last pod, throw money at some safeties, throw money at some secondary guys, and I would focus on smaller school guys. I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Someone had a question about opting out. Like, I think those guys will get underrated. I think guys that were from FCS programs, guys who were not, uh, didn't really have a season or from group of five programs who were, who other teams will see and say, we didn't see them against good competition, going to be hesitant on. They're going to fall down draft boards because of that. Teams are going to go with it, what they know, what they've seen the most of. And so I think if you're the Texans, that will just mean that some of those guys who were at smaller schools will get, will fly under the radar. Possibly like take out who didn't even play this year. UCF will probably be there for you in the third round. Take some shots. Got to find your like small that. edges, man. On day two, day three, got to find some small edges. I think tacking certain positions like, Big interior run defenders, safeties like we've talked about. I think linebackers is another good opportunity. Mm-hmm. And attacking those guys like small school guys that you know, may, or, or guys that have opted out, I like that. Yeah. I like that. All right, this is also from Shuka Shane. Love the pod, guys. I don't have a question, just a favor. Can you please tell my friend, codename JD? That's a great friend name. I might start call, calling you codename MR. <laughs> that he's a fool for thinking Sewell should be the pick for the Jets at two. Ridiculous. Hey, codename JD, you're a fool for thinking Panay Sewell to the Jets at two. Makes sense. And the number one argument I've seen for this is they could have the top tackle tandem for the next 15 years. Oh, I messed up. The the, the other guy was BBNBBXD. That's why that's why we did the name. You suck. There. Either way, Sugar Shane, what's up with you? This is this is ridiculous. I do agree it's ridiculous. The yeah. New York Jets are not a Panay Sewell away from winning eight games. <laughs> yeah. They're not. You need to address the quarterback position. You need to address that. And like, if you think Sam Darnold can be the guy, and you've said this before too. Keep him. Keep him and have him compete with this guy you bring in. Yeah. You know, some people, someone was talking to me recently and they're saying, like, we, you can't always just go the Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen approach. You know, it's like you, you immediately draft a new quarterback, whatever, whatever. This is not an immediate situation. Sam Darnold's been there for three yeah. years. And in addition to that, you could always go the Browns, Baker Mayfield approach. They, they, the GM brought in Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick. He told Hugh Jackson, start the best player. Mm. Hugh Jackson starts Tyrod or Tyrod. Tarot sucks. Best, not the best player. Not the best player. And guess who's out of there? Hugh Jackson. You do the yeah. same thing for your coach. You bring in a new coach into New York. Say it's Robert Salah. I think that's the favorite right now. You say, hey, I'm drafting a quarterback at two. You fucking play the best one. Mm-hmm. And if it's Sam Darnold, you better win some damn games. And if it's not, you're on the le- your leash is short. Like, th- this is the problem. Like, I, that's how it works in baseball. That's how it works in other sports. The GM gives you what he thinks are the best players. The coach needs to put the best team on the football field and coach them to win. That, I think, is what the Jets need to do. And the best player at two is not Sewell. It's going to be one of those quarterbacks. Yeah, and you don't worry about, like we just led the show off with the Tua situation. The reason that was a shit show or is a shit show in the locker room is because they were not starting the best player. Yeah. They were starting the guy that everyone on the team did not think was the best player at the time. They gave him the best chance to win. You don't. I don't think you have an issue with that if you are legitimately have a guy who is the third overall pick and a guy who is the second overall pick. They're a quarterback competing – in Sam Darnold, whoever they brought, Zach Wilson, say, 
at quarterback and one of them looks better than the other, you start the one that looks better and the locker room doesn't really give a shit at yes. that point. All right. Love the podcast, fellas. Easy is the best one. Hype for the three episodes a week. This is from Mike Nids. I know Darion Kendrick hasn't played cornerback for all that long, but why does the draft community overrate him so much? We've seen him this year's we've seen him in this year's college football game, college football playoff game struggle against Ohio State, and the same could be said for last year against LSU. Why does he get so much more love than than a corner like Eric Stokes Jr., who has arguably played better against better competition? One, Darion Kendrick has decided to come back to school. But I do think yes. there's an opportunity to talk about him as a prospect and why why the draft community and scouts will value him as highly or even maybe even higher next year, it's the traits. I mean, the guy is a former, what, four or five-star wide receiver recruit that has been playing corner for only like two or three years. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, he looks bad. But what he can be in the NFL, the potential is what's massive. And to talk about Eric Stokes Jr. for a little bit, Eric Stokes Jr. has had better production, has a very good athletic background as well, but I don't think he's in the same tier as Darion Kendrick from like an athleticism standpoint. You've talked to Darion Kendrick. Not nearly as smooth. Yeah. And then and then the scheme also plays, we've talked about the George Corners being just like so overly grabby Physical, that they just man. hang on to Eric you. Stokes Jr. hangs on you. Yeah. Stokes Jr. also a year older. Redshirt Jr. at this point, like then a redshirt sophomore and Kendrick. And so like the younger guy doing it at a younger age, obviously more impressive. And I'll also like throw in, and I think I said this when we talked about Darian Kendrick earlier this year. Anytime a guy's a former wide receiver, it gets evaluators a little like hot and hot and bothered. Like yeah. you're just like, oof, he's got the ball skills. Like that's that's what everyone kind of loves. Like I'd let wants. this guy give me a black eye, right? Is that what you're kind of saying? <laughs> I'd, I'd fly him from Reno to Cincinnati. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with yeah. you. No, not to bring up past, but um, let's jump to Kid Racer Four, who just. He really, he really took advantage of the He beat fact. the system here. Yeah. Hey, hey, Austin and Renner. My name is Brandon, and I've been watching two foreign drafts for about a year. They helped me get through quarantine. Here are some questions they had. He's got three questions, and we're going to answer all three. Mm-hmm. Here you go, Brandon. Kid Racer 4. In last week's episode, Anthony mentioned how he could see Mac Jones going before Trey Lance, and it seems like a wild take. It is. Personally, I believe Jones over Lance. If Mac, if Mac Jones balls out on the OSU defense and puts together great numbers, would there be more consideration of Jones but going before Lance? If so, what range could you see him going in top 10, top 11 to 15? So he did ball out. He's continued to play well, but he's played well all year long in Alabama's system. Yeah. The the problem, and I'll start, I guess. The problem, I think, is Mac Jones doesn't have the tools, the traits that Trey Lance has. And I think in the NFL, they're going to value, excuse me, they're going to value Trey Lance's tools and traits and arm talent. Mm-hmm over what Mac Jones has done from an accuracy and consistency perspective and production perspective at Alabama. He's not a toolsy prospect. He's a guy that has exceeded expectations with below average arm talent at Alabama. Mm-hmm. And we, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but the difference between him and Joe Burrow, and why everyone's like so sold on Joe Burrow, was the difficulty of what he was doing. Like Joe Burrow, the offense was innovative, whatever. He's still, I think he had twice as many completions into tight windows as Mac Jones did this past year. Like, Mac Jones is literally hitting wide open guys 95% of the time. Like, that offense was the most dominant, like, schematically as well as talent-wise in college football. Uh, His job was not difficult. A lot of guys would have looked great in that offense is, I think, the biggest thing right now. And that as soon as he steps on the football field in the NFL, it's going to look utterly and completely different than anything he's seen before. So I just, that that to me is why uh, 
you still lean on the guys with the tools because there is still a big developmental curve once you get to the league. Um, top 10, I don't think. 11 to 15, possibly, just because there's so many teams that need quarterback in that range. Do you believe the opt-out players like Jamar Chase, Gregor Russo, Caleb Farley, Trey Lance, he did play one game, uh, could fall in the draft because of either no on-the-field time or other players improving their stocks like Quiddy Pay, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle? Yes, I, I think they will. Like Out of sight, out of mind. I said this earlier. Valuers are going to lean on what's right in front of them, the guys they just saw. Like it, The fact that a guy is two years removed from having played on a football field is going to, even if you try to cognitively admit your bias and say, no, like only evaluate what you see on the field, that's who this guy is, I think it's still are going to underrate these guys. And I think you also underrate the fact that like guys improve. The last we saw from them, very good from all of them. But it's rare to see guys get worse in college. Like they, they would probably be better this upcoming year than they yeah. were. And just in terms of like physically, now Jamar Chase wasn't going to produce as much in that offense. Gregory Rousseau wasn't going to have more than 16 sacks. That would have been crazy. But I do think like they would have been better players had they come back this year, and we just aren't going to be able to see that. So I do think they're going to get underrated. All right, last one from Kid Racer 4, a.k.a. Brandon. In the last several years, there have been surprise first-round picks. Jordan Brooks, Noah Igbenogany, LJ Collier, Jerry Tillery. What players this year do you think could be a surprise first-rounders in 2021? Or is it too early to tell? Or is it too early to tell? Sorry. I think it's. I do think it's too early to tell. It is too early it's, to tell. It's difficult to say where anyone stands on. The Davion Nixon hype has been interesting. I think yeah. that's a name that comes to mind like, oh, you don't have yeah. him even inside the top 50 on your board, but he's a guy that's been mocked in the first round. Someone sent me an IG DM of some fucking mock draft on Reddit that had Patrick Jones of Tulane going at five. So there's also there's I don't know what to tell you about that. Like that's obviously a, a mock draft on Reddit or something, but like that's not a surprise. Wait, one. Patrick Johnson of Tulane? Patrick oh no, Patrick Johnson. Sorry, or Patrick Johnson of Pittsburgh. It was Patrick Johnson of Tulane. I'm pretty sure Ooh. it was Tulane guy. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. Um, <laughs> that kind of just threw me for a loop there. I, I I wrote down a couple names. Like I said, it's way too early to tell. But you mentioned Igbenogamy sneaking in because he's just a freak athlete. I think a few years ago, the same thing was true of Terrell Edmonds. Yes, Terrell. I always have to think of their names. And my Terrell Edmonds snuck in. I didn't snuck in. He was like the 24th pick, which was absurd. But because of how physically gifted those guys are to me, Caden Stearns of Texas might test out the best of any. Uh, test out the best. We're not even going to have a combine this year. Why am I saying that? But he's maybe the most. He might run a 4 1 on his phone when he sends it yeah. on Twitter. It's got a. Schefter's tweet's going to do numbers whenever he tweets out his 40. It's fast dude, very athletic. I think he could make his way up boards. Someone could fall in love with his traits. And then I feed to Melifano as well. We've talked about 6'3", 213, built differently than any cornerback you'll see almost at any level in terms of what he can do physically. It's a big Someone cornerback class, dude. Yeah, yeah Fatu Melifano, Patrick Sertan. That's, I mean, so I'll toss those two names out there. Like, no one's really saying their tape looks like first-round tape, but physically... They have first-round type tools. I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast yet, but doing the research for the draft guide, Patrick Sertan and Tyson Campbell played outside corner for the same high school, American Heritage, under Patrick Sertan's dad, and were both five-star recruits that went to Georgia and Bama. Like, can you, and they won. They went back-to-back undefeated seasons championships. <laughs> like, can you imagine trying to throw against fucking two-six-two, two hundred-pound cornerbacks? Yeah, I wonder. 
the fact they didn't go to the same school, you would think if yeah. you're two five-star recruits from the same high school, they must have not been friends. They hate each other. Like if you're friends and like at the, you would go and be like, let's run it. Because they both got offers from the same schools. I mean, yeah, they got yeah. offers from everybody. Five-star gets offered for everybody, yeah. Um, all right, next one here. Thank you for that, Brandon, the three-piece. Uh, Michael Shea, Arizona. I know it's likely both are available. It isn't likely both are available at 16 for the Cardinals, but would Kyle Pitts or Jalen Water be a better, better pick for them? I like Pitts for them better. Really? Yes. They got Andy Isabella. Maybe that's just me like saying oh like Andy Isabella. But like if you want a field stretcher in that offense, he'll stretch the field. He can run the crossers. He can run those sort of routes. Now he's not even close to Jalen Waddle in terms of a lot of the other things. But Cal Pitts, though, like Dan Arnold compared to Cal Pitts is a night and day difference. It, physically what they can do. So... <laughs> Yes, I'll go Cal Pitts. I'm going Jalen Waddle. I'd rather yeah. see Jalen Waddle in that offense. I think he's splitting hairs over though. Pitts. It'd be fucking awesome to see both of them. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kyle Ditter, super great, well th- thought out draft content. I thought I I love the thought process behind who should be taken and how to maximize positional value. Question: Kenneth Gainwell, the Memphis running back, is one of my favorite players to watch in the draft. Hashtag fun to watch. Yes, hashtag fun to watch. How do you think? He profiles at the next level as running back and what possible landing spot if he declares. Ooh, I like your pick here. So he did declare, I think. Like he opted out, I think, to, to prepare for the yeah. 2020 draft. Um I think he's I don't want to say a gadget back, but he's gonna be a timeshare sort of back. I don't think he gets the he's one ninety hundred and ninety five pounds, or at least he was last year, five nine or something. And well, Carter's like 100 in that same range, the North Carolina running back. But like he actually kind of runs with power, like we'll lower his shoulder into guys. Gainwell was all make you miss, all kind of out in space stuff. But what he did was he was the best, single best receiving running back in college football back in 2019. Like that guy gets open. He could play the slot if you want to in, in their offense. And so that's why I think a team that's going to use him in that manner going to use his versatility and going to use him as a vertical threat at the running back position. So I threw out Green Bay here. Aaron Jones, free agent. Jamal Williams is also a free agent, I think. Who? Jamal Williams, yeah, also yeah. a free agent. Obviously, A.J. Dillon, the, the future. Sort of the future there, but he is not going to do any of the things Aaron Jones did as a receiver. He will catch screens. He will catch swings. That's it. Kenneth Gainwell can do a lot of that other stuff. They do a lot of jet sweeps. Like, they use Tyler Irvin in that offense just to do jet San sweeps. San Jose State, Mountain West, rise up. Yeah, and so he could – Gainwell could be – could fill that role. So I'll, th- I'll throw them out there. I think um, – Green Bay is a good idea. Rank Kenneth Gainwell among the recent Memphis backs. Daryl oh, Henderson, no, don't make Tony me. Pollard, Kenneth Gainwell. They're so good. It's RBU right now. Um, Gibson's RB1. Oh, Gibson. I didn't even mention fucking Gibson. I mentioned Daryl Henderson, Pollard, and not even Gibson. Yeah, Gibson too. Gibson's RB1. Pollard's RB2. Has to be. Over Henderson? At this point in time, yeah, Pollard's probably RB2. And then... Gainwell, I'd probably say, is ahead of... Better than Henderson. Henderson. Because Henderson could not... He's not much of a receiver. Yeah. All right, last question from the podcast reviews. And then we're going to jump to the few Instagram and Twitter questions we did receive. But before we do that, Mike, we have breaking news. Can we break this news? Oh, yes, please. Urban Meyer is near completely done going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, according to Ian Rapport, as the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Your initial thoughts on this move? I'm hype. That's awesome. Tony Khan, my boy. Went to my high school. Uh, I'm happy for him. That's a hell of a hire. Like I, I think, I, I think I said this before when we started. He, he was rumored to, but like part of his success was that he was he hired great assistant coaches, and I think a big maybe the 
big part of the hangup was him putting together his staff. I'm very excited to see who they get because you've seen the success that, you know, Herman had at Houston and obviously not at Texas, but Ryan Day's had, Luke Fickle's had. Those guys were all on his staff. Like he puts I mean, Marcus Freeman, staff, I think, was at Ohio a good State too, leader and developer. Yes, he was a great recruiter, but those things as well. So I, I, there are, that's a slam dunk of a hire as you get. And we've talked about this before too with coaching candidates. Head coaches, it's not about how cool is your offense, any of that, or how good is your play calling, all that stuff. It's about can you come in and coach up men and put together a staff to like win with and like create a winning culture and all that stuff. And I think Erwin Meyer can definitely do that. He's done that before. Yeah, um, graduate, uh, Marcus Freeman, who is the rock star defense coordinator for the University of Cincinnati and Dame. now is Notre Dame, was a grad assistant at Ohio State um, and went to Ohio State. Yeah, um, as well. But I think I do think that th- that that coaching tree is pretty pretty hot there. All right. Yeah, I mean, one of the best college coaching trees you'll see from Herb. They're going to be hyped up, dude. I'm interested to see where Vegas puts their win total at next year. Because like you're going to get Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. I'd, say they do sign like an Allen Robinson. Yeah. Say they bring in like some hot assistants, like a, a cool hot OC. I don't know who it's going to be, but there's going to be some hot hot names there. You said hot a lot. I said hot too many times. Yeah. Um, I am very curious, like I said, to see his staff, and I, I think it'll work. Like I'm, I want to get, I'm like get a Trevor Lawrence jersey, and, and you could put to bed that it's Justin Fields' converse. Like, don't oh, even yeah. bring that shit up about maybe they're gonna draft Fields number one because of his Ohio State connection. They're, you would not be taking the Jags job if it was just to draft Justin Fields. Absolutely not. So. And Urban Meyer didn't even coach Justin Fields. Yeah, his last year at Ohio State as the head coach was 2018. Yeah, and. Justin Fields was playing at Georgia then. Like, I get that there's Ohio State ties there, and he probably has a very good read on how good Justin Fields is. Mm -hmm. But Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback prospect. That's obvious. And I don't think it's going – someone has said he's going to pull a Cliff Kingsbury like he did with Kyler Murray and draft Justin Fields. Cliff Kingsbury didn't pull anything. He drafted the best quarterback in the draft. The best quarterback in this year's draft is Trevor Lawrence. There's no pulling anything. I think Urban Meyer and the Jags take Trevor Lawrence, and that offense gets a lot better in 2021 that team gets a lot better in 2021 all right last one from the reviews here funny and informative great pod tons of rookies draft prospects find myself laughing out loud all laughing out loud all the time the missouri university of science and technology is known for being one of the nation's top engineering schools binge drinking during the entire week hopefully course edge of saint patrick's day and now tershawn wharton what was tershawn's final season grade and do you think he has a chance to stick on the chiefs roster going forward earn a 66.2 22 pressures it's pretty good for a rookie defensive tackle like being at average as a rookie at defensive tackle position not easy you're immediately going from and especially Tershawn Wharton going from playing against guys who do not are you know 19 20 year olds 300 pounds not physically developed whatsoever to grown men who are as strong as any human beings like in the country so big difference uh we didn't even see you know the grownest man of them all, Derek Brown, grayed out that well as a rookie defensive tackle. So incredibly encouraging stuff. Stick on the Chiefs roster. I mean, yes, wholesale, 100%. This guy is your best sub package. Like after Chris Jones, this is your best interior pass rusher. Quite easily in wow. my mind. He is, if nothing else, he can be your Henry Milton sub package interior guy for the rest of his, you know, for the rest of his rookie contract. Like they found a steal in this dude. I'm a big fan of his. He's still like small. If he just puts on like a little more weight, like this guy could be an actual every down guy. I love the Henry Melton reference. Mm. It's a deep cut. All right. On to Instagram questions here from Brett. Legend. 
We didn't say who that was from. That was from Jimmy B underscore 55. This is from Brett. What is the best case scenario for the Steelers in the upcoming draft? Trade for Matt Stafford. Wow. That's your best case scenario. I think Matt Stafford, you could win a Super Bowl with that roster and Matt Stafford. That is a hot take, Mike. I think that's your best case scenario. Damn. And then Big take Caleb Farley? Well, and hopefully it doesn't take a first rounder no to get way Matt Stafford. takes a first rounder. For Stafford? I think it will, though. Really? Yes. Dude, if the, I feel like the Detroit Lions would be smart to do that. Because that roster, yeah, I, that I coaching too. staff, if you can get a first rounder for Matt Stafford, it's see you later. But hopefully it takes more like a second and a three, and then, that's what I'm saying, best case scenario, and then Caleb Farley falls down there at cornerback. That would be for the Steelers. If the Detroit Lions were to trade Matt Stafford for another first round pick, I think they re-sign nobody but Kenny Galladay, and they just tank into oblivion and get the number one overall pick in 2022 and rebuild from there. Because, like, you're not, you're yeah. not trading Matt Stafford for a first-rounder and then still finding ways to scratch out, play, like, a postseason berth. Like, you need to go to the bottom. It's time to go down. So that would be interesting. I think that it's would honestly be – it's time to go down. <laughs> That's a great take. I like that one. That's a hot one. All right. Uh, from Alexander. Which I position is more, li- more likely to have a starter slash quality player taken in the late second or third round? Wide receiver or corner? This one to me went through kind of the numbers. The, the, numbers. the numbers. And not really close. Wide receiver. You look at the names. Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, D.K. Metcalf, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Michael Thomas, Tyler Lockett, Terry McLaurin, T.Y. Hilton, Cooper Cup. That's a lot of fucking talent. Yeah. Wide receiver. Seriously, you could find middle of day two cornerback james bradbury jamel dean ronald darby janoris jenkins all in that mix quality corners wide receiver though that's desmond trufant was a second rounder wasn't he no he's first rounder damn it never mind get it straight all right um let's go ahead and jump now to our twitter dm questions here from reddit gm do you think sean payton has considered drafting trey lance I think it's I don't know I think I don't think coach is getting to that process especially since he's still in the playoffs so probably not but uh, I'll say at some point I think he will and at some point he'll realize I don't think he's going to be in the position to draft him so I'd, I'd say probably not he could be the replacement to Taysom Hill no they don't want to give up on Taysom Hill <laughs> you've comped Trey Lance to Taysom Hill but who can actually throw yeah that's, that's that's a good comp I like it what do you think the best fits for the top five QBs are to succeed all right Lawrence I mean Jags whatever like these go to the Jags so that'd be dumb to say anything else I'll Zach, be best fit on the Niners <laughs> yeah right Zach Wilson I'll say the Broncos I love him with that receiving core I, I think that would be very perfectly set up for his strengths of how he plays the game Justin Fields we already touched on it for you Niners I think it's a perfect fit for him Trey Lance whoever gets Brian Dable I don't know who that's going to be but Brian Dable, I would love to see Trey Lance Brian Dable with the Magic. He worked with Josh Allen. And then Mac Jones, he's the guy going to the Saints. That's smart. That's where I'd like to see him end up. I, in I a think dome. Mac Jones and the Saints is my favorite of those four. In Bye. a dome, in a division where you're not going to play in bad weather and that arm strength is not going to be necessarily as big of an issue. I love that. I love that take. Mac Jones to the Saints is something we should start mocking here pretty soon. All right, Sam underscore Stetcher. Why shouldn't the Bears mortgage the future to trade into the top five six and take one of the quarterbacks? Because okay, I guess that question of why shouldn't you? I, I don't. I don't hate it necessarily, but that is how you can end up like the Texans because they've been throwing away draft capital left and right already. They already have a roster that's built on almost all guys on their second, third contracts that you're paying. They don't have a lot of talent on their rookie deals right now, making an impact. 
And so as soon as that kind of fades away, you're left with a cupboard that is bare. If you do make a move like this, you're not going to have any young talent in two years is the reason not to. But I mean, the Texans did it without trading for a quarterback. Which is nuts, right? I mean, With the what? Texans tra- mortgage the future for like Laramie Tunsil and, and and oh, I mean, no, they traded up for Deshaun Watson too. They gave oh, true, a that's picks right. for Deshaun Watson, but then they also started making dumb decisions after that. From Brandon Ayuk, not the actual Brandon Ayuk, but this is a good opportunity to tease the Monday episode. We are going to have San Francisco 49ers rookie Brandon Ayuk on the podcast on the Monday episode. But this is not from Brandon Ayuk. I think his Twitter handle is just Brandon Ayuk. If you could add two inches and 20 pounds to any previous girlfriend, I mean prospect, who would it be? I, and he said, no, Devontae Smith. That one's too easy. But Devontae Smith would still only be like 6'3", 195. He would be weird as hell. He kind of looked like Robbie Anderson. Yeah, he'd be Robbie Anderson. Um, I went with TCU's Darius Washington, 5'8", 180. If he's 5'10", 200 pounds, He's getting Jamal Adams type love. This guy, that's how highly I think that would be a prospect. The one I would love to see though, Daniel Falele, the Minnesota <laughs> offense tackle. He'd be six eleven, four twenty. Deontay Brown would be what six five three eighty. Yeah, that would be Tyler a treat. Shelvin. Dude, Tyler Shelvin could probably add two inches and twenty pounds with him. You wouldn't even know. Yeah, wouldn't even know. Like he that. does that. <laughs> That's nuts. Does that man. after a good night's sleep? That's nuts, man. I think there's other there's other positions too. I mean, there's certain corners where I feel like you always felt like if they were just a little bit bigger, could make like Asante Samuel Jr. I think would be sick. You yeah. had two inches and twenty pounds to Asante Samuel Jr. You're yeah. getting a damn good outside corner. Yeah, I think those are the positions it would matter. Like a, a guard adding two inch twenty, like who cares? Defense yeah. tackle, like cornerbacks. Can you DBs. add those inches in arm length? Ooh, no, you just get like a Kyler Murray fro. Oh, like it it's a pro situation. Higher. Interesting. All right, next question here. We got to move. Thoughts on Chris Olave and where he might go? Fan. Best, one of the best route runners in college football. I think he goes so back much, into the first. So smooth, so polished. And he's, he's fast. We've talked about, like, is he fast? He runs, he's going to run a 4-4 or something. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's a back out of the first round type of guy. I really like him as a fit to any team that wants a legitimate I get open receiver. Mm-hmm. Not like a blow the top off, not like a true possession. Like this guy consistently gets open, which every team needs. This guy consistently gets open. Chris Olave. I like that. Liam Eichenberg, a good fit for Urban Myers Jaguars with the Rams pick. I think that's too early. Way too early. You have two second rounders now. You have the second rounder from the Vikings. I think that'd be a good one. Forty five overall. I think that is that that's where I'd start thinking about Eichenberg. I mean, there are other tackles I would take, though, with that Rams pick, wherever it does end up. All righty. One more thing here. One last question, and then we're out. Sam Danes, 26, sent me a DM. He said, if I showed you this year's tape, if I showed this year's tape to someone who had no prior knowledge of this year's quarterbacks, no biases, no priors, Mm -hmm. wouldn't Zach Wilson be the first pick? My take is, no. even if you showed the 2020 tape, just the 2020 tape, yeah, you would still come away with Trevor Lawrence as the most impressive quarterback prospect of any quarterback that's played this year. Then I think after that, you're still thinking about Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, in the similar tier that they're. Then I now. think it is Zach. Yeah, then I think it is Zach Wilson would be above Justin Fields if you're just talking about this year's tape. Yeah, and that's why shit he is on our board. Um, but you go back and watch the oh gosh, Wake Forest game yeah. from Trevor Lawrence. That's the best quarterbacking I saw all year. Now it wasn't like it was against Wake Forest or whatever, but just in terms of like the timing, the routes he's throwing how quickly he's getting to them. It was just perfect quarterbacking. 
and then the arm strength and the talent, whatever the physical tools are still like, he still has better than everyone else's class still. So yeah, I, I think even if you go just show me this year's tape, I'm still going with Trevor Lawrence. I think so, a, a good segment in the near future for the podcast could be to, for certain prospects, highlight their best tape. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of people that do listen to the podcast want to watch prospects yeah. and like you can look up these games on youtube pretty easily you can't find the all 22 but you can look at these games pretty easily i think the wake forest game for um trevor lawrence is good for carlos basham jr that unc game he plays is pretty nuts like i think there's certain games that stand out for certain prospects that can give you a good read on what they are at their high end for a full game but um that's going to do it for the mailbag episode that was a ton of fun man urban meyer news deshaun watson to a Loa, and answered all these questions we got a ton more that are laying over for next week and if you want them answered next week if you haven't already got yours in rate review the podcast if you rate and review the podcast and leave a question in there it will be the first question we answer after that send us a dm on twitter reply to a tweet on twitter or ask us on youtube we'll find a way to fit those in as well and thank you guys for submitting those questions too there's people saying it got them through quarantine people saying that you guys are the best draft coverage out there thank you guys yeah, Thank it's, it's been nice. Thank you. I, I do I do appreciate that. I do appreciate the fans. The and I'm looking forward fans. to it. It's only going to get better. It's only getting better. Dude, it's only going to get better. Here. Once we get the meetups going, dude, mm. it's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. Anyway, until next time, Austin You're just Gale. still looking for a girlfriend. You're hoping one of these. I'm kidding. Well, how, many of, <laughs> how many of them want to do a first date story? Anyway, um, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2-4 Drafts.